Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. Going into the bye week, USC is 3-2, falling on the road to Washington, 28-14. We'll break that down, answer a lot of your questions, talk about what's been going on around the program in the future. What's in store? We don't know. We'll discuss it and try to find out. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Com, or if you'd like to call or text us, you can do that too. The number is 424-254-9141. We'd love to hear from you. We've got a lot of voicemails. We've got a lot of texts. we got a lot of emails. We'll get to all of that. we got Keely Yor here in studio. She's going to help break it all down. She was up in Seattle. How are you doing, Keely? Good. I'm doing well. It was an interesting time up in Seattle. Interesting time going forward for the Trojans. This bye week is critical. Very critical bye week, and uh, we'll discuss that. Keely's got a lot of insight of what was going on up there. She talked to a lot of the players and coaches after the game. Also, Dan Weber did the same. He's on the line. Hello, Dan. Howdy. <laughs> I'm taking a little bye in the week uh, right now. You know, just uh, taking it very easy, relaxed, calm, yeah, collected. Wow, no Dan's big, very no zen. So Dan is very Zen and we need to, this is the first thing we got to talk about is Dan's Zen. So we were on the conference call Sunday night. Clay Helton does a conference call at 6 PM. We end up doing our tunnel vision show at seven after we get any kind of news and notes. It was the most subdued <laughs> conference call that I can remember. And there's a, you know, a few people that always end up asking questions. I was contemplating asking something. Keely sort of advised me against it. Maybe it wasn't the, yeah, you know, probably she was probably probably right. It might have been a little, and and I feel like yeah, you don't want to be confrontational, but there's you're trying to get certain answers out there, so there's like this fine line. And for the first time in like ten years, Dan, you didn't ask a question. That was crazy. Well, I did the same thing. I was sort of advising myself, uh, a la Keeley, that I went through my questions and I realized every one of them was argumentative as heck, or kind of negative how do you do this or how do you say that or how do you you know justify this or whatever and then you start thinking even if you go with the kind of standard informational things uh you've already heard all the answers so i'm not sure that moves the ball at all either so i just kind of said you know i just i don't have anything to ask tonight that i think will enlighten anybody it won't get a new answer it won't get a different answer uh and if we go into the areas where where they really need explanations of what's going on and how is it happening and blah 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 it's going to sound like i'm coming at at uh you know clay helton from a, a very confrontational you know sort of uh you know point of view or whatever and uh, to be honest, I don't want to become, you know, Petrus Papadakis or, you know, Scott Wolf or whatever in terms of, you know, making everything sound negative. So I just kind of let it go. I guess I mis- miscalculated. What were there? Three or four people that asked questions? And the uh, questions were, you know, like, 
when's your next practice? I mean, it was like questions that had almost no uh, connection to the reality of where USC is. It was like everybody was being really polite. It was uh, the the least newsworthy Sunday conference call in the history of Sunday conference calls. I mean, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot more to say. Yeah, other than, you know, if you like hearing uh, we're on path to win the Pac-12 now, and, 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 you know, we'll see these guys again in, you know, December in Santa Clara. Okay, fine. And should they win that? Yeah, if that ha- rematch happens, should USC win? Of course. They should have won Saturday. I mean, you know, they, they did a, some things well, some things really badly. But they clearly should have won that game Saturday. And they lost by two touchdowns. So if they play again on a neutral field, and they somehow get there, which would say they have to be playing at least decently, they should win it. But again, it's the Pac-12. So what? Yeah. You know? It seems like the target has changed where it's like, well, you know, all these things we're going to fix, all the accountability, I'm going to focus on turnovers, I'm going to focus on, focus on penalties. Like That's sort of out the window now. Now it's like we still are mathematically not eliminated from winning the Pac-12, you know? And it's just so weird I mean, I don't know. And he, the same sort of thing was being said on the Monday Trojans live show where it just you just don't seem to be getting much as far as answers go. All that accountability stuff, all that how they're going to do everything better. It just looks so much like last year. Uh, you know, the team's three and two. And they're, you know, for them to be talking about trying to get back and play Washington again and not looking at Notre Dame first, just it was just kind of a head scratcher for me. Well, and you don't want them to, you don't want the expectations lowered so that, hey, Notre Dame's not going to keep us from uh, winning the Pac-12. So that game doesn't really count. You know, it's kind of like how if a quarterback scrambles for a bunch of yards, that's not really like counting against our rush defense. That's sort of like, oh, you know, that that guy, where did he come from? Or basically Saturday after that game, you know, the storyline is, well, we only had one breakdown on defense against the run. Yeah, but it was for 89 yards, it turned the game around and finished you off. What do you, you know, it's just, those are, that's where the answer almost is worse. A non answer would have been better than the answer because the answer, and you're almost protecting them by not getting answers about certain questions because people read the answers and they just want to throw their laptop to the window yeah. or something. You know, it's just like they want to smash it. I mean, it's frustrations like, at all time. I mean, I don't know about all time high, but it's at a pretty darn high right now with the USC. I mean, Keely, have you felt that too? That's just like fans are super frustrated right now. Yeah, without a doubt. And like, for example, fans are not only frustrated, but they're on the edge of their seat. Like uh, I tweeted eyeball emojis because the angels were doing something and i got so many comments like i thought this was about clay helton it's like guys <laughs> calm down like but yeah people are really frustrated i know ryan you and i have talked about how just even traveling people would come up to us and be like what's gonna happen with the team yeah like it's just it's crazy fans it's like borderline getting into apathetic though like there's only yes. so much that they can take of this before they kind of just have to check out which is just not what you want if you're a usc football program yeah and i'm like wednesday night i'm speaking at the the san gabriel valley you know trojan club thing like i don't know what to Ooh. expect for that like this is not the really ideal time to do something like that but um it's just you didn't want the limbo being in limbo being in purgatory for you know end of last year and then all through the off season 
was this horrible feeling for USC fans. And you wanted to get back to, hey, get back to the winning ways. Listen to all the things they said, all the changes that were made. It's going to be better. And it's not better, Dan. And I think that's where the fans are frustrated. It's just kind of like you went right back into it. Like if you're, you know, you're in a relationship and your partner's doing something, your you know, partner never does the dishes. And you're like, I promise I'll do the dishes. I'll promise to do the dishes. And then, you know, you go through all this stuff and find, okay, fine. I take the, you take them back and they don't do the dishes again. And that's, they feel like they're just right back into the same, you know, it's like a groundhog's day sort of thing. Well, I, I think I just saw the sports pack 12 bloggers, uh, listed uh every team in the pac 12s record for the since the start of 2018 and usc is 10th with an eight and nine record in the last year plus and that's just unacceptable come on eight and nine you know eight and nine with a team that uh one of the amazing things is um if you watched wisconsin play the other day against michigan just stomp michigan uh they have uh, what was it? Nine, four, and five star players on their team. Clemson has just 40. USC has 47. Come on. Something's not right here. When you watch that Wisconsin team with nine, four, and five star players, and then you watch USC with 47, and you say, what's, what's wrong with these two pictures here? And there's a lot wrong with it. And, um, and I thought, you know, people thought, well, even with the quarterback situation, the two new quarterbacks came in and had really good first game, but then they go on the road and both of them with the other team getting a look at them and seeing, here's what they do. Here's how we'll defend them. USC and both games didn't seem to have any answers. Uh, and there's the result three and two and, uh, two games. One for absolutely certain, the Brigham Young loss is just unforgivable when you see Brigham Young get smoked by Washington at home, and then they go to Toledo and get beat again. I mean, how in the world did, uh, did USC lose to Brigham Young? Because they weren't prepared. They don't, they don't handle going on the road well. Uh, and it, it basically comes down to coaching. They weren't ready to play, and they didn't handle it at all. Uh, all right. Well, hey, we're going to talk about something positive in a second. Just to, uh want to thank Trader Joe's for their sponsorship of the Peristyle Podcast over the years. They've been awesome to us. Make sure, you know, you got homecoming coming up uh, against Arizona after the Notre Dame games. You got a bye week, Notre Dame, then Arizona. Make sure you head over to Trader Joe's over at the USC Village. Lots of great stuff for your tailgate. It's amazing going in there. The students love it. Keely misses it. She wasn't there. She missed it when she was a student. So it's true. There's some it's a, some jealousy going on. I mean, that was way before my time, but I mean, way after my time. But man, that would have been awesome to have that there. And I, you know, the thing I bought recently there, these Neapolitan JoJo's. These are little sandwich cookies. That so, if you have Neapolitan ice cream before, it's the same kind of concept. There's a vanilla cookie, there's a chocolate cookie, and there's strawberry cream in between. So it's pretty good. I'm trying to only eat a couple at a time, but that's very hard for me to do. So make sure you check those out. Found that on the uh, their Fearless Flyer. But you can go to TraderJoe's.com and get more information. We always love what we get there. I know Dan and Keeley are big fans, too. But just thank, thanks, Trader Joe's, before uh, before we run into all these questions and stuff. And the one, one positive thing before we you know get into the questions, because there will probably be some negativity maybe on the questions, Keeley. Just a little bit. Is there bit. a little? Just yeah. a little bit. I haven't read them all yet. But um, – the John Jackson video that just came out. So John Jackson, the first was a coach on the USC sidelines. His son, 
John Jackson Jr., uh, when he was he was catching a bunch of passes when I was in school from Todd Moretovich and stuff. And he's now USC's, uh, you know, color analyst. He's been a silent reporter, covered, col- I mean, uh, high school football. He suffered a massive stroke in December and has come all the way back. He's doing so wonderfully. We've seen him in the press box, seen him at different USC events where he spoke and I spoke and it was great. Just great to see him. He's come out to practice and his son is a freshman on the USC football team has been running out of the tunnel. And, and so, so JJ's got to see his son coming out there and do that. They put about a 10 minute video together. Make sure you check it out on usctrojans.com or they've tweeted it out and stuff. Just heart. It's, it's wonderful. So uh, I don't know if you got to see it yet. It's uh, it's really special. Yeah. But I think, is that the one that Robbie uh, Colans put together? Yeah. I think, yeah, it is. And I Yogi think, Roth uh, is and that's the... what they've been working on. Oh man. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it's, just, it's the best thing that Pac-12 has ever ever done. I think he did it for the Pac-12, uh, and then obviously USC is using it, but it may be the best single thing that the Pac-12 uh, has ever done. Yeah, it's great. It's kind of like a couple years ago when uh, Jake Olson had the snap and everything. Um, mm-hmm. You know, That was like one of the special moments of that season. This is certainly going to be one of the special moments of this season. Yeah, without a doubt. Shall we go into questions, Ryan? Yeah, I think we should, Keely. We, uh, I don't know if we need to like break down the game more. I think we'll do it during the questions. Probably. There's like, yeah. Um, Pe- people know what's going on, but yeah. yeah, let's do that. Let's start with Steve, class of 97, who says, I'm really struggling watching these games and keeping my sanity. What do I root for? As a fan and alum, I can't fathom root- rooting against my team and hoping they lose, but I know that as painful as losses, losses are, they will lead to necessary change. On the other hand, if USC talents its way to enough wins and Helton keeps his job yet again, it's depressing to know that this is as good as it will ever get under Helton. A team full of talent but underachieving and nationally irrelevant before October. As fans, what do we do? Thanks and fight on. Steve, USC class of 97. Steve, I don't think you ever root against USC. I think the kids deserve it. Uh, USC maybe hasn't done enough, gotten caught in all kinds of you know, situations with administrative people who didn't understand what the heck was going on and made a whole lot of bad decisions on top of, you know, what the NCAA threw their way. And so I just think, uh, I would say right now, uh, how this goes probably isn't going to matter. I mean, it, 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 maybe if they run the table, um, including Notre Dame, uh, that, that could change things. But uh, I think it's probably not a when, um, excuse me, it's not an if situation, but a when. And um, I wouldn't feel bad. I think you should just root like crazy for USC and, uh, you know, hope they do as well as they can. And it's probably not going to change anything. Uh, however, they, however they play for the rest of the year, and you'll feel better about yourself uh, if you're not rooting for them to lose. I, that's, that's always going to be my, <laughs> my way of looking at this. We have yeah. a- Email from Dave behind the orange curtain who says, is it true that Helton plans to uh, plans practices for an entire season in advance? More important, does he refuse to change that plan? If that's true, how can you correct the mistakes? Huh? Does Helton's plan take into account all the mistakes in advance? Hey, real quick, Dan. Um, yeah. So w- there yeah. was one question on the Monday con- or the Sunday conference call that did have a little bit of that into it where I forget who it might've been Ryan from the LA times. I forget who asked it, but you know, are you go basically you're going to go and just do what you've been doing or make some larger fundamental yeah. changes? And uh, 
he kind of gave this roundabout answer, but the, it definitely was not, yeah, we're going to do a lot of stuff different this week. It was basically going to fix the little things and go according to plan. So I, I yeah, I think just to throw that out there before you answer, Dan. Now, this is a staff that definitely feels comfortable with plans that are uh, very not changing. They don't like sudden change. They don't like having to go in a different direction. Uh, I just think it's, you know, that definition that you get really close to of Einstein where you just keep doing the same things and hoping you get a better result. Um, You know, we know what Einstein called that. And it doesn't work in, you know, rocket science or football or whatever, you know, the theory of relativity. Uh, I think you got to change what you do. I don't think you can make uh, plans over a long period uh, of time in a season. Uh, You really, I mean, you've had three starting quarterbacks. I mean, how can you possibly uh, hope that a plan, I mean, that a plan from the first half even survives halftime. I mean, you know, you go into the first game with, <clears throat> with the air raid and uh, JT Daniels and a, an accomplished experienced quarterback. And by halftime, he's out for the year. I mean, you think you need, you know, newer plans and different plans, but we have heard, you know, from people that say <clears throat> one of the, you know, ways that they approach things is uh, the plans for the season are laid out uh, practice by practice by practice. And uh, it doesn't look like where you can walk in today and say, guys, we're going in pads today. We're going in pads tomorrow. Notre Dame thinks they're so big and tough. We're getting better in the run game. We're going to go up there and we're going to run right at them. And we're going to knock them off. You know, we're just going to knock them off the line of scrimmage. And we're going to play some tough football. And we're going to force them uh, to come up and play us man to man. And, uh, you know, and really give run support. And then we're going to throw the heck out of the ball. And we're going to come back tomorrow. We're going to do the same thing. And we're going to, you know, we're not going to worry about bumps and bruises because we don't have a game this weekend. That's the kind of thing maybe you would like to see. Uh, and then, you know, with a, a big time emphasis on the discipline that, that, you know, that basically you've got about a 50, 50 chance. If you're a USC running back and you cross the goal line, you've got about a 50, 50 chance of getting a 15 yard penalty just, you know, for being USC. I don't know that the, the marquee step, uh, you know, handing the ball to Reggie Bush was warrant, would warrant a 15 yard penalty. And I guarantee you, whatever it was that, you know, that Matt Fink did last week, sure didn't look like it, it warranted a 15 yard penalty. But you got to let them know you're in the Pac 12. They're looking at you. They're, you know, obviously those officials called those penalties because they would have been graded down and, and criticized had they not. Because this is how the Pac 12 does things. And you just got to understand that. You can't give people, uh, you know, things that they can use against USC. So that kind of discipline that, you know, seems to be going away first couple of games, they get four penalties each, and now they're up to, you know, eight, nine, 11, whatever. Um, they got to get back to that. So if that requires some, you know, some different kind of, uh, you know, if you got to hire high school officials, I'm guessing during the season, you cannot hire Pac-12 officials, but bring in local high school officials. Or, or, or college officials from other leagues, but they got to get back to where they were when the season started and not where they've sort of devolved to right now. we got a voicemail question for you, Dan. Let me play it. Yes, it's hard to be a USC fan these days. 
Um, I've been a season ticket holder and going to the games since the 1960s, and I've never felt so sick. Um, you know, the adults have failed the kids and failed the players at USC. I mean, you have the dean of the medical school who's smoking crack cocaine in his office and convorting with drug dealers and prostitutes. You have the college admissions bribery scandal that impacts the athletic department. You have the USC doc who sexually assaults hundreds of students. And how much is that going to cost a university? Hundreds of millions of dollars. You have Pat Hayden's double dealings. You have Lynn Swan's incompetence. You have the USC Athletic Department asking season ticket holders to fork over thousands of dollars just to keep their seats. And now you've got Clay Helton, a great guy and a horrible coach who's clearly in over his head. And what's he going to get when he gets fired, which will happen sooner or later? $23 million. I feel very sorry for the players and fans. You know, if we mess up in our own lives, we're held accountable but not the leaders at USC. They get a big payday when they get shown the door. This is Don calling from Chicago. Well, Don, Don's on the missed, fence, it uh, seems. Like he's, not, <laughs> he's not really sure where he feels about and, the whole thing. And Don, and Don didn't even mention the uh, Ronald McDonald shoes that Lane Kiffin had him wearing. Uh, I mean, you want to talk. I mean, he had all those and didn't even mention Stark. I mean, think about it. <laughs> what we're dealing with in USC over over the you know recent years. I mean, it's just amazing to have all those all those things that you know to decide you know, which which way is worse. You know to look at it. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I still can't believe that Clay's contract is guaranteed for all those years. I just can't even imagine that there'd be anybody that incompetent at USC who would have any authority to extend those years as guaranteed contracts. I, I, that will be the one that of all the things that happened, that'll be the, probably maybe the, you know, the most shocking, but yeah, there has been a, a lack of accountability uh, by the adults uh, who have failed the students. And uh, I think that's happening in a lot of places. And I, so I, I would not have a problem if somebody said, this has to stop. We have to change this. We have to go in a different direction. This is a, why, why, for example, should a kid, get a better opportunity for a good experience in football if he signs with the University of Washington than if he signs with the University of Southern California. That's not right. And that's not fair. And the kids that show uh, faith in the University of Southern California and loyalty and work, you know, as hard as they work and all the things they do, they shouldn't have, you know, less of a chance to be successful than the kids that are in Seattle playing for Washington. But right now they do. And that's not fair. And USC has to do something to rectify that. And we don't see uh, much of that happening yet. We haven't, we got a couple emails from Ray in Florida. First off, this one comes, uh, I think he sent it at the half. He says, this quote unquote air raid has no air. Why are the majority of passes behind the line of scrimmage? It looks like the gumbo offense. Also, how many missed or poor tackles does Clay Hilton have to see to realize that we need to tackle at every practice? And this is just the half. We look sluggish, no excuses. It's coaching, not the kids. Yeah, I don't think there are enough missed tackles in the world to make that connection. I think they think, uh, show them the video, say, uh, you shouldn't miss that tackle. And then they've corrected it. I, I Honestly, that, that seems to be the message that we get, that you can, you know, categorize it, you know, break it down, whatever. 
uh, do a different drill maybe this week, but uh, it, it just seems to me that you have to do some full speed something. You know, blocking, tackling. You've got to figure out a way to approximate that in practice without getting guys hurt. You gotta. If you don't practice football, I'm not sure how you would expect to play it. What other sport would you act like? We don't really have to pr- uh, practice it the way the game is played, but we'll be okay when we get to the game. Uh, no, that doesn't work. It w- doesn't work anywhere in life. Doesn't work on any other sport. And the genius of, of great football coaches, they figure out a way to be able to approximate everything that happens in games in practice. So far, we're not seeing that. Of course, we don't get to go to practice anymore, but all you do is watch games and you don't have to be a practice to figure out what's not happening at practice. Uh, and Ray sent us another email and he says, I disagree with Dan, my idol, that we ran the ball better. Washington seemed to be willing to concede the run to SC in order to stop the passing game. When we got down inside the 10, we couldn't gain a yard. Your thoughts? Yeah, I don't disagree. I ran the ball better when Washington basically was backing off because they, they, they absolutely didn't want Michael Pittman to get loose and they didn't want you know them to get into, that, into the air raid. And so USC... The difference, I think, when I say they ran the ball better, they took advantage of it at least this time. It wasn't 23 yards or whatever, 13 yards, excuse me, that they got against Utah. So they did take advantage of it, but you're absolutely right. When they need to run it, when they know you're going to run it, USC doesn't seem to have the firepower to be able to push the pile, and especially at the goal line, and then they're forced to, to run the RPO pass that, that they've gotten picked off three different games now, uh, you know, at the goal line. And those are complete game turnaround, you know, turnaround uh, situations when you're going in to score and that you don't, you don't even get a field goal. The next thing you know, they're scoring at the other end. That's, I mean, you just can't have 14 point turnarounds in, in 42 seconds or whatever it was at Washington. So, so they were better. And yet, as you say, it didn't matter. That's what's so frustrating. They got better, significantly better, and it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. We have an email from Tark with a Q who says, I've been watching Max Williams since his junior year in high school, and I've always felt that he was one of the best cover corners in the country despite size and ranking. I love SC's DB core and feel everyone deserves to play. But how do you feel this coaching staff can work him into a su- such a deep rotation? It's a good question. I know people ask about Max after the game. And I think we got that, you know, we'll have to watch the film uh, to see what we saw or whatever, but he certainly didn't look like he made a couple of plays. Uh, and he's got a lot of moxie and uh, the way he's come back and gotten into the picture. Uh, yes. He's got a lot of, I mean, they stood him off pretty decently. I thought in the secondary uh, with three guys who, you know, hadn't been starters starting Saturday. So, uh, and against a quarterback with a big arm and a big reputation, and they held him to, you know, no touchdown passes, 180 yards uh, uh, passing against, with Jacob Eason. I thought that was, that was a pretty darn decent performance. You wish these guys got to tackle some in practice so they wouldn't have to always be, you know, kind of tiptoeing up because they know they haven't done that full speed enough. And it makes them really uh, kind of, cautious uh in terms of the way they try to tackle or if they go full go they tend to you know kind of they're hit and miss and uh 
You can't have that. They're too good athletes to to not be comfortable and confident that they can tackle people in uh, in space. Now, I know Clancy uh, told us that he had to watch the tape, but I was actually able to track down Greg Burns after the game because uh, I didn't go to the presser, so he was one of the first guys out of the locker room. And he was saying that he was actually impressed with the opportunity, what uh, Max Williams made out of the opportunities that he had in that game. And he said they're actually trying to work him in any way that they can, and, and they're doing that in practice. But he said the key was that Max wasn't healthy to start the season. So, But they're, he said the, the coaching staff is impressed with Max, and they're trying to find a way to work him in. So that's at least something that they're recognizing there. Yeah, I think you had to. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, one after another. I mean, I think we always felt like this, as young as this and inexperienced as this secondary was, there was a lot of talent there. And I think Saturday's game kind of proved that. So now you you end up with a game where the secondary, you know, young guys, inexperienced guys step up and play, and the running game pretty much steps up, and still you lose two touchdowns. Not 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 the way you want to go. Yep. Earl in West LA kind of listed some thoughts and then wanted us to think about it as well or share our opinions on it. So I'm just going to list them off. Uh, first off, he says, one, I can see why Matt Fink was third on the depth chart. He was like a deer in the headlights at times. He may have had a week to prepare, but he also had too much time to think about the responsibility of being the starting quarterback. Two, Graham Harrell did not have confidence in Fink and it showed with his play calling. And after seeing three interse- interceptions in the red zone, I can understand why. Several times in the second half on third down plays, he called a passing play that were not not long enough for the first down. Three, USC is capable of an effective run game with over 200 yards against a good defense. And four, the bye week could not come at a better time. Your thoughts, Earl in West LA. Well, we heard that uh, couldn't come at a better time. It all depends on what you do with this week. I mean, you know, it may, it may not be relevant uh, if, if they don't, you know, if you just do the same old, same old, uh, <clears throat> neither quarterback, excuse me, <clears throat> got ready for the second week of their, you know, after having great debut games, uh, neither quarterback handled, handled it well. But is that the is that on the quarterback or is that on, you know, the way they practice, uh, the way they, you know, the way they game plan? Um, uh, I, I would be really hesitant to try to read into, you know, we get to talk to Matt Fink to read into his mind sort of negative, mindsets about he was this or he was that i don't think you know that at all i i I don't think i would say that i I don't you know i like uh you know getting people to try to analyze what's going on but i don't know that you you're really doing anybody any favors including yourself by analyzing some you know uh young guy that getting his uh you know first real start on the road against a good defense that is really ready to take advantage of some of the things that USC doesn't seem to be doing well on offense. And, uh, you know, they're just going into, I mean, he's not, for example, he's not JT Daniels in terms of being able to shred uh, when they drop eight. Um, And he's kind of not uh, being allowed to completely be himself because he's the only scholarship quarterback left. And I know there would be times when he'd like to take off and he did the one time for the touchdown. But uh, I think, I think Matt is um, didn't get help by the way they ran the offense and, and what they tried to do. Um, you know, it just did not look like he was he was well prepared. And 
you can say that's on Matt or that's on everything else, you know, around this program, how they practice, how they understood what Washington was going to do. And one of the problems we had after the game was, uh, Graham Harrell said basically they did exactly what we thought they were going to do on defense. Two minutes later, Michael Pittman says they did things we didn't we didn't know they were going to do. <laughs> now, who, who do you believe? I don't know. They were within you know ten feet of each other. One interview right after the other. It was like, so now what do we know about how that game went? I don't think we know. But I, I wouldn't come down on on the quarterbacks and and act like they had some sort of major failing of of the you know the will to compete or the will to challenge the defenses and all that i i don't i i, I don't like that i don't i don't think you should do that yeah and then the uh as far as the run game go yeah i think the usc is certainly capable of uh having a good uh run game i mean they it didn't really work that well against byu but they they ran the ball better um in a situation where washington dropped back eight um before we jump into everything, I just want to thank our sponsor, Seat Geek. So I know you guys might have problems getting tickets sometimes. With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, Seat Geek proves there's a better way to buy your tickets. You can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. Seat Geek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. The process is just a lot better. Make sure you check out their app, the SeatGeek app. What they do is they pull together millions of tickets from all over the web, and then they're going to rate every deal on a scale of 1 to 10 and display them on an interactive seat map. So you can look at the stadium. I just pulled up Notre Dame on my app, and you can see where all the seats are. So if you're like, hey, I want to sit over here. I want to sit over there. They'll show you where the best deals are. You can actually get tickets for as low as $121 if you happen to be going to Chicago to see USC, uh, Notre Dame, South Bend, but you know, everyone goes to Chicago, but you can check on SeatGeek and they have a lot of great deals on there and you can see which, you know, what you want to spend and where the seats are. So SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first purchase. All you have to do is use our promo code. If you download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code USC, you'll get $10 off your first first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. All right, Keely, we got to get back to the questions. Let's jump back into it. We have an email from Alan Lee who says, my question is, do you think the coaches are sandbagging some parts of the offense knowing that the first half of the schedule will only get harder? For example, are they underutilizing Marquis Step to minimize game footage for opponents with a plan to unleash him by Notre Dame week? What? I was going to say, what are you saving them for, for Arizona State or Cal or something like this? You've already had the meat of the schedule. Like, I don't know. It's a, it's a heck of a plan. I, I think I might have gone the other way. I would have, you know, tried to, I might sandbag uh, somebody in the Fresno State game. And then without JT, that, that didn't seem to work so well. But after that, I think there was no time for sandbagging. Uh, none whatsoever. Here's what we do. Here's what we do well. See if you can stop it. That's what they said the plan was going to be with this offense. We're going to do it so well that uh, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to do it. Your, your defense is going to have to play better in our offense, and we think we're going to be more uh, prepared to do that. The problem is what we've been seeing doesn't look like, and it doesn't resemble what they did in the two weeks of fall camp that we were allowed to watch up to August 17th. Uh, and obviously, without JT, and I know people, I think, really uh, underrated and, and, and probably treated JT 
unfairly in, in a lot of the you know, the commentary that we would hear. But, uh, you know, it's going to make, it's obviously making it a lot harder, but it doesn't even look like the air raid now. I mean, there, there's, remember the talk was we're going to need eight to 10 receivers and 55 points. Hey, that's kind of where we're looking at. We're going to run so many plays. Uh, we're going to wear people out. I don't think we're seeing any of that. No. And, okay, you've had two first-time starters, but they both burst onto the scene with really good first game. So where that's gone away, uh, I don't know. But now they're walking up to the line of scrimmage. They're looking at the sidelines. I think they hit two delay a game penalties uh, Saturday and a third where they had to call timeout. Uh, it's not it, – it, it scarily resembles 2018 uh, with the kind of indecision we're seeing on offense. And, uh, you know, it's hard to know what to think because of the debut performances of both uh, Keaton Slovis and, and Matt Fink, you thought, okay, this is plug and play. This is quarterback friendly. You just keep going. And then, you know, they go on the road play, you know, defense just completely set up to stop the air raid and it stops the air raid. And uh, I'm not sure. I don't know exactly how to analyze that. Is it, uh, you know, is it strictly the quarterback situation? Is it, you know, just the inability to, to just play with any confidence on the road? Uh, is it, you know, that the air raid is playing at a little different level? This isn't North Texas and the North Texas opponents. Uh, this isn't even the Big 12 where, uh, where Graham played at Texas Tech. This is, this is a league that teams have to be able to play pass defense in the Pac-12 because for years and years, everybody could throw the ball. And so maybe it's just a different animal competing against Pac-12 teams that are pretty well coached against the pass. I thought Washington was just superb in the way they approached uh, that defense, uh, just really, really, really good. I know Utah was pretty good without 17 pound, 16 penalties or whatever it was. Uh, that might have turned out differently as well. But, uh, uh, yeah, see, uh, it's it just whatever they're doing on offense, it doesn't look like the air raid. It doesn't look like what they practice. And it doesn't look good enough to beat good teams, certainly not on the road. That's a good segue into this voicemail. Dan, here you go. Hi, Ryan, Kiwi, Dan. This is Matt from Ann Arbor. I really appreciate the show and, and the post-game analysis this weekend. I, I totally agree with it. Um, one quick vent and a couple quick questions. Uh, uh, the vent is on the tempo of the team. I, I can't understand why they don't move move quicker uh, in games until they're down with six minutes to go. And then it, when they start to do that, it really looks like they have – teams on their heels and they have the superior athletes and you know they were horrible at it last year they've been a little better at this year but i just uh you know it feels like they lose a ton of time in the course of a, of a game because of the game management and um i'm really tired of it because they they look good when they move fast and they they have uh, much better athletes on average i think every Every uh, game here on out is winnable. It's just coaching. I think that's the main obstacle. Um, and three quick questions. Um, uh, one was on the Hafunga uh, penalty. I wanted your take on that. It, uh, I found it pretty incredible that 
we got called on that, and then literally the next series, Washington got called, didn't get a penalty, and they got a warning uh, when their sideline interacted with us. To um, Polamau's, uh, the the 89-yard touchdown, was he blocked by the ref, or did he allow himself to get blocked? It's kind of, I know that's kind of an X's and O's perspective. And third is um, uh, the Drew Richmond penalty. Uh, uh, what was your take on it? It looked like he yelled at Fink right away, which I think is peculiar. Um, anyway, thanks for the show. Fight on. Matt in Ann Arbor. Uh, yeah, I, I think their take is, is pretty on, – on the tempo, I think they do have – I think you have to run tempo with this offense. I think you got to get teams kind of on their heels a little bit. you got to go faster uh, from the get-go. Then they can, you know, be lined up and ready to defend you. And, and I think, you know, you got to run it. Uh, the whole game because then you do use a lot of receivers, which USC has, and you get them a little tired out. You get them a little heavy legged, and uh, and just the they're just not as sharp uh, defending it. And you just keep going after them, going after them. So I, I'm all all for that. As far as Talanoa, the comparison between the two sidelines where USC immediately gets flagged, I thought it was interesting. We're sitting you know a couple of seats down from that glasses ref who. All we can assume is he's there as an observer. And I guess if you're officiating a game with the glasses up, because he made a comment afterwards that if you don't want to get penalized, don't wear your jersey. If you're wearing your jersey, you're fair game. Uh, but I thought that was uh, completely disparate treatment the way they went after USC, uh, especially with the, the mini spike, semi spike. I don't know if it was actually a spike or, or just, uh, uh, you know, putting the ball on the ground and getting out of there uh, on that thing. Uh, so that's two in two weeks in, you know, end zone penalties for USC. Um, so I think there is a dis- difference. And, uh, and as far as the, uh, the Drew Richmond talent, I didn't really get to see exactly what happened. I don't know if you did, Ryan, or not. Uh, I, w- with, I mean, with Drew Richmond. watching the game, I don't know what it was. He false started, and so he came out of his stance early. Nobody else moved on the offensive line, but he turned to Fink and was like yelling at him, like it was. Yeah, the he wrong. got angry. He like pointed too. Yeah. So, but I, if it was like, if he's the only one that didn't get it right, though, I mean, maybe he didn't get the call right. I, I'm not sure, but if it, other people would have moved, maybe it would make more sense. Right. But if it's just Drew for the second false start that, of the game, yeah, he had two penalties, right? He had yeah, two. that was the second false start. So for somehow he was seemed to be blaming it on Fink or something, but he he didn't feel like that was his fault. But nobody else moved, so I don't know if everyone was on the same page. Or, I mean, he didn't seem to be on the same page as yeah. everybody. And I always get suspicious sometimes like that. Is the defense calling out signals or whatever yeah. that, where there's some confusion there? I I, I never know that. And uh, so as the the 89 yard touchdown run, I think it was Chase Williams that maybe missed missed the tackle, and then. Everybody else seemed to be totally in their lanes, in their, you know, run sets. And that has been kind of a problem at times with Clancy's defense that you only need one guy to miss or not be there. And all of a sudden, now, why those guys look like they were, you know, their feet nailed to the ground, I don't know why. There wasn't any, I mean, it looked like 10 guys standing there and one guy missed and it's an 89 yard touchdown. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think 
you would have liked to have seen Isaiah uh, slide into that into that area, but I don't think it was his primary responsibility. But uh, yeah, you know, I watched weird. it. I watched it again last night, Dan. I'm shotgun. I'm you know probably more detail, but yeah, it looked like Chase missed it the initial one. But it's just a different philosophy where Isaiah Polamau, the other safety, was up, you know, kind of more towards the middle of the line, and went, there was no one back. Right to protect where on Steven Carr's long run, some people gave him um, some grief for getting caught, but they had two safeties really back. I thought he, and I shotgun mentioned this too. He beat one of the guys who had an angle on him, but the other guy, right. the other deep safety had a, you know, an angle. He couldn't, you know, he ran out of sideline there and I, I didn't right. fault Stephen Carr for not getting away from that, but that was just a different defense where Isaiah Polamal was a lot closer to line of scrimmage, kind of got sucked into the middle, and there was nobody back there once uh, Chase Williams missed it. But what the caller was asking about was the the back judge, the ref, was right in the way. So you see Polamal try and cut, but he runs into the the ref, so he takes a bad angle, and then the guy's just gone. So I I think the question was, did it look like he let himself get blocked? I don't don't know why you would want yourself get blocked, but I think it's such a bang-bang play, and you don't realize the ref is there, and then you have a bad angle. Um, and then as far as Fink, he did spike the ball. I was I, he got excited and, and threw it down, and and the flag was. You saw it. They yeah. didn't show that on. They the, didn't show uh, it on the replay, but I saw it from my angle. So, yeah. uh, just some. Yeah, some... I was wondering, was he mostly just getting rid of it? I mean, no. it didn't look like it. It didn't look like. I mean, if you don't rise up and and make a show of it, for example, most of us in the press box, nobody saw what he did. So that very thing would make you believe. Well, he wasn't doing the classic spike so that everybody could see it. I thought he was more just frustrated that it finally got into the end zone and he just got rid of the ball. But uh, no, he, know, he I would not have probably. He stood did up. He seem, did he raise up? Yeah, he stood up, spiked the ball, and then screamed. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of that's going to well, draw I saw a flag. The scream. I saw the scream, but I didn't see him stand up and spike it. He was completely from our. our he was kind of blocked really by USC didn't... players, though. That's why I thought maybe he wouldn't get the call, but they saw it. Do you have it on video? Or... I do. I oh. should probably tweet that out. Right. And I don't want to be mean, but yeah. Yeah. But yeah. you got it. Yeah. It was, it was unseeable in the press box. And so then you think, well, how big of a deal could a uh, celebration penalty end zone that nobody can see, at least on our side of the stadium? How big a deal could that be? And uh, well, on the Pac-12, of course, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, but thanks for the question we got from Ann Arbor. That was nice. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Let's go to an email from Chris, class of 65, from Santa Barbara. He says, we were told of the outstanding skills our new Australian kicker uh, or punter at the beginning of the season. Four games in his average is only 41 yards per kick, no better than a decent high school punter. The advantage we had was that in special occasions, he could flip the field with a 60 to 70 yard punt. On Saturday, he punted from the goal line. As usual, the kick was high and short, so the fair catch was called as the returner ran up to catch it on our, say, 40 yard line. What idiot is directing this talent? By kicking both short and extra long, the other team has uh, does not know what we're going to do. Stupid coaching. Is it John Baxter or Clay Hilton? Chris, class of 65. Yeah, I think you have to. Uh everything that is done on special teams is John Baxter. And I, I do think um, he knows, and again, he hasn't told us this and probably isn't going to. And he, he has told us that everything uh, that Ben Griffiths is doing is exactly what he's been told to do. Uh, so those punts that where the emphasis is on kicking it as high 
for as long a hang time as you can. And we're not going to worry about where they come down. That would seem to be coming from John Baxter. And if I had to guess, there is a fear that Ben Griffith will outkick the coverage. Now, it surprises me that USC is so worried about the coverage. I mean, USC has some players who can run. Now, whether they can tackle in space going full speed is a big question. So is it that, that they don't trust the, the punt coverage team and they try to force every punt to be fair caught and they're going to give up the yardage, which is just self-defeating when he is in the end zone and he punts it to the 38 and they drive in and score. I mean, you know, Washington's two first, first two scores were a total of 73 yards in, in the two drives, 38 and 35. Well, that's not even... I mean, that, you know, you should make teams drive 73 just to get one score, but 73 to get two. So I think that's really faulty thinking on the part of USC to ask a kid. I think it's asking an awful lot for him to not outkick the coverage, kick it as high as he can, and he ends up, you know, kicking those, uh, you know, those short punts. I mean, it's just, it's unfair to Ben. I think it's unfair to this team. I don't think it's smart, but it, it doesn't look like anything's going to change. Uh, obviously, on that, I think it was a 22-yard punt, he uh, he needed to flip the field, and they needed to take a shot. You know, they haven't really let him do the rugby style. That's the one where maybe you take off and try to kick it away from the one safety, kick it to the far corner. Uh, we haven't seen any of those kinds of things where you try to kick it and bounce it, get that extra 15 yards on a roll if the guy doesn't catch the ball which is one of the advantages of doing the rugby style. But I, I just think the punting has been handled just awfully, miserably, uh, terribly. Uh, and I, I feel sorry for, for Ben Griffiths, but I, I think it's just a, it's been a disaster. And, uh, you know, that's yeah, I agree, I Dan. Say. I think his first two punts netted 24 yards. One was a 24-yard punt. The other one was like a 35-yard punt that had 11-yard return. I think that's the one that set up the, the second score. After that, he got better, though. He ended up averaging 41 yards a punt, um, and he had a long of 54. So I don't know if after those first two kind of disaster punts that netted 24 yards each, did you just say let him go a little more? It seemed like he was a little looser after that. Yeah, I, I just think I think there's the, the feeling that if they get a big punt return, that's on the special teams coach. But if the guy just <laughs> kicks it high and it comes down fair caught, uh, not my fault. I don't know. I hope you hate to. That's interesting. And it, 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 it's not personal. More, more, it's like a philosophy of, you know, coaching defensively and not just going after it and just saying we got a guy who can flip the field. Go ahead and flip it right now. Kick it past that guy. Not happening. Yeah. We got a text from Eddie in Whittier who says, Hello, Ryan. This is Eddie from Whittier. I have two questions for you, Dan and Keeley. One, why does it seem like the team doesn't have the hunger to win and be better every week? It's week five now, and they seem like they're okay with just competing and giving it their best. Two, Fox showed a glimpse of Helton on the sideline during the game, and you can see the players in that same shot. And the players seem to be having fun, laughing, and having a great time on the sideline, all while being down by 14 in the fourth quarter. What the hell? Do they not care what they're doing? That they're embarrassed by the results? It's absolutely ridiculous and unacceptable. Please share your thoughts. Thank you. I did ask this question after the game, 
has there ever been a team that got two, if you count, I think spike two celebration penalties, two 15 yard celebration penalties in a game where they got beat by two touchdowns. I mean, really, how do you get multiple celebration penalties in a game where you get, where they double the score on you? I mean, that's just, I mean, talk about a lack of discipline. Uh, so we don't always get to see what's happening on the sidelines. I think the TV cameras give you guys a, a better look at the sidelines than, than we get. As Clay said, going into the, the game, this is a team that has a whole lot of fun. And he wanted to go to Seattle and have a blast. And, you know, I guess some of them did. But uh, probably not necessarily the first thing you want to do. And you probably want to win the game and then have all that fun. I will say, though, I think the energy from the defense and the sideline presence from the defense is always, I think it's always up to standard. I think they're always really in it. They're always talking with the coaches. The other players are talking with each other and trying to learn and, and get better. Sometimes the, the energy from the offense, I feel like, is lacking, or sometimes it's just a little bit too casual. And I've never wanted to really criticize how players conduct themselves on the sideline because I think everyone could do whatever they want as long as you get results, but the results aren't really coming. So this was the first game where I actually kind of took note of like, eh, it seems like some players are kind of a little checked out. Um, so I don't know. But I will say, though, they did fight. They could have, when it was 21, 27, they could have checked out and they still kept fighting. So I don't know if that's necessarily fair to say that they don't really care because they could have given up earlier in the game. Yeah, I, I think it reverts a little bit to the way we looked at 2018 when the sideline discipline and the checked out players. And I don't know what else Backley could do the way that, you know, that season was playing out. I mean, that was really a hard, hard deal, but I think people were maybe hypersensitive to seeing uh, anything that looks like a return uh, to that by anybody. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's been kind of an issue. You want to keep everybody in the game uh, on the field. I think they're, you know, they are exactly right staying in the game, but, uh, but that bench, uh, bench sideline kind of stuff probably needs, uh, needs a little work. All right, let's take a quick break. We got some more questions. Take a quick break. We'll come right back with a voicemail and some more emails here. Uh, back in a minute. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Why don't we go to a voicemail question? Dan, let's uh, get your thoughts on this one. Curtis from Moreno Valley. I've been hearing a lot about uh, the defenses against the the uh, offense we're running. And to only send three at the quarterback or, or just send three and cover with eight, we need to double the center. We got five linemen that only have to block three guys. They need to take that nose tackle and help the center who has to hike the ball, then block this this nasty nose tackle. Let's give him some help. That'll help on the running plays. Nose tackle will be out of the play with two guys on him. The nose tackle on pass plays will be out of the play uh, if we double him. Curtis from Moreno Valley. And uh, real quick, Dan, Curtis probably called in three or four times, leaving voicemails really all about the playing against the three-man front, dropping eight guys into coverage with a bunch of different thoughts. But I wanted to play at least one of them for you. 
Yeah, I think Curtis, that's kind of like old school way of uh, attacking it. And I really like that idea. Uh, now, the, the, the guy at Washington wasn't bigger than um, um, than Brett Nealon. Uh, I, 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 maybe just a little bit smaller. But the two previous weeks, uh, you had big, 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 tough, uh, aggressive guys. Uh, and I, I like that idea, actually. I mean, you've got five to block three. Uh, at that point, and you ought to be able to create some seams. And I really don't like it when when they you know they have a couple of good running plays and then they run up into a brick wall uh, and they're not getting any push on it. And so you would think uh, the double team would make a lot of sense when they're playing that you know zero technique nose tackle right on the head of the center. Uh, I think you know they just ask for that because the splits are large, uh, wider. And with a three-man front, their defensive splits are really wide. So you know, I think I think you could do it. I would do it. Uh, I'm surprised some, as much as they allow you know uh, the center to just uh, go one-on-one uh, with a guy, a big, strong, like the guy from Brigham Young, a big, strong, aggressive guy who who got to the quarterback almost the first play and sent a message to Keaton that uh, you know we're coming after you, even with just three guys. So. Yeah, I like that solution. We have an email from Paul in L.A. who says, Saturday was my first road game of the year, and I couldn't help but notice the low number of Trojans in the crowd. Kind of surprised. Uh, it kind of surprised me being a weekend in Seattle with that backdrop and the large amount of alumni in the area. Uh, it would result with a strong contingent of Cardinal gold. As you guys travel to all the road games, have you noticed dwindling numbers of traveling fans under Helton? Fight on, Paul in L.A. Oh, big time. Big, big, big dwindle uh, in terms of uh, USC fans. Uh, where do you see the Notre Dame game uh, this week or this next week? Uh, it's really dropped off. And, and that was a game I don't think I've ever seen fewer than 5,000 uh, at the Notre Dame game. I don't think. And I think it's going to be uh, a couple of thousand short of that. I really do. I think uh, Instead of having the two eight-car trains from Chicago, I think we're we're, we're talking about maybe just one. Uh, so it, it's it's different, yeah. And, and people are not uh, they they just turned away. I got an email from somebody today he said his kids, you know, been going to the game since they were little. Went to USC, and now he said for the first time on a Saturday, neither one of them even turned the game on on television. They just had other things to do. And it's just you're hearing this a lot, uh, and it, it, it's playing out a lot. There, there weren't many, weren't many at Brigham Young, weren't many at Washington, uh, aren't going to be many at Notre Dame. Uh, it's uh, it's a problem. I don't think there's any question. I was always first time uh, a long time ago. I don't know it was the 2000 2001 season, maybe even before I started covering it. I think I went to a game at Arizona, and I was shocked at how many USC fans. Were. That was like the turnaround game for Pete Carroll uh, and that team. And uh, I was shocked at how many fans were there. And obviously the band was there. And uh, I don't quite see that anymore. Uh, it's just, it's kind of gone by the wayside. That's, uh, that's really a difficult thing to deal with. And I think that, you know, if you're looking at it from the top of the administrative, uh, you know, chain at USC, you look at that and say, this is a, this is a problem. We need, we need to take care of. This is not good. 
on that note, we're going to transition now to questions that are mostly about frustration and overall thoughts about where the program is going and Clay Helton. First up... Uh, Wait, we have questions about those things? We do, Ryan. Wow. Shockingly. Wow. Yeah, I, I didn't I think thought, we would get those. I thought we... I thought we just had all those. <laughs> those were just like <laughs> subtle hints. There going to be more frustration. Yeah. That that oh was the goodness. appetizer there. Yeah, those were subtle hits. These are now full on accusations and such. Just wait till we hear this text from Jason from Japan slash mostly California. Here he says, "I'm sick of it. Woke up at 4:30 a.m. local time to watch this so-called coaching staff land egg and prep to beat you dub. When is this nightmare over? SC lost the desire and prior to." prioritizing of winning so long ago bring on urban we are bleeding on recruits and losing all little remaining respect i mean you know from your lips to god's ears or whatever i mean i just think uh, a lot of people if you put that out there a lot of people would sign their names to it uh it's a uh it's it's what a lot of people feel and uh it's probably enough time to know when something isn't, you know, going in the right direction, and uh, and when you probably got to make make a, a change in direction, and uh, I think they're they're as close as you could possibly be to that point in time right now. Dan class of 1962 says there's a middle ground for the coaching change needed this year. USC could fire Clay Hilton and make a current assistant like Graham Harrell or jinx the interim coach with the statement from the president that she's committed to hiring the absolute best head coach at the end of the year so that the new coach will be in place prior to the end of the recruiting season. This would also give the new AD at the end of the season uh, time to weigh in on the selection. The president would need to state unequivocally that the university will spend whatever resources are necessary to secure the top coach and implement the, that coach's system. Hope is the key. The president needs to give players, fans, and recruits hope rather than wishing that things would change. Stringing Helton along is not the answer for now or the future. Waiting to see if Helton can win a Pac-12 championship in Rose Bowl is a wish, not a long-term answer. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a necessary... Uh, arms length relationship in a way this isn't the sec i'm not sure the president can really get in there and say we're going to spend everything that it you know whatever it takes i am kind of intrigued by people who say uh usc uh where would usc get the money i mean let's face it uh, uh, there, there's at least one or one coach out there who would pay for himself maybe on the first day in terms of ticket sales and all the other things that go that go along with that. So I think doing it right doesn't uh, doesn't require USC to find money that they don't know where it is. Uh, I mean, there are schools that are like that. No matter, I mean, it doesn't matter at Stanford, however much you probably pay the coach or not, he might not not be going to draw more people. But in LA, I think in this market, if you have a a, a competitive, a nationally uh, championship competitive program people will turn out and you will uh, the dollars you invest in, in, in how you're going to go about things in the football program will be repaid over and over. So, uh, so I think, uh, I think that message has to be conveyed. I'm not sure the president directly uh, has to convey that exact message, especially, and it's difficult at a time when there is no athletic director. Um, you just, you know how you finesse that is, is going to be an interesting, uh, an interesting question. Uh, but I do think, you know, saying that you demand the excellence and you want the very best and you want USC to keep 
in the tradition uh, that goes back to the 1920s of having uh, programs and coaches capable of winning national championships. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think, you know, it's how you, how you deliver that message. But I think it's an absolute message that you want to say, look, to everybody at USC, we want to be as, you know, the absolute best that we can possibly be. And we're going to do everything we can uh, to, to make that clear and make it happen. And, uh, you know, if football just happens to be the first one public, uh, you know, opportunity to do that, you know, I, I, you don't want the president to be embarrassed to say, well, uh, this is an academic institution. We don't want to put sports out, out front. Unfortunately, that's the way the world is. Sports is out front. It's out front nationally. It's out front in terms of uh, you know, locally in, in Los Angeles and California. And nobody holds it against you to, if you're excellent in whatever you're doing. Uh, I don't think. And I don't think you have to apologize for that. So how you work that out, uh, you know, and a lot of that will be up to the president herself in terms of her own personal ability to deliver that message. Uh, but got to be done carefully. But I think it's got to be done. We got a text from Mike from Northern Nevada. He says this game was for, for sure a sign of poor coaching and poor leadership. With the bye week here, do you think the university will find an AD and replace a head football coach? I think Fink tried to create a spark several times, but it's obvious the coaching staff doesn't trust him enough to allow him to audible and change the plays at the line. Therefore, poor play calling and execution is 100% due to poor coaching. You know, and, and, and probably people would say that's unfair. You've got a third third guy that was third team as a quarterback and how many teams could could get to that place and still you know feel completely you know you know confident and comfortable but uh you know the the message that that's being sent is that they're not quite ready uh for where usc people believe this program should be and there's been enough time uh to get there <clears throat> and so you know it's that's you know as Clay said, they pay me to win football games and uh, not winning football games and not looking like you're quite ready to just do everything that you need to do is going to draw, you know, criticism as it should. All right. We got, uh, this is our last voicemail. So we had a lot. I think we had five voicemails for Harvey Hyde. We have four for this show. I actually might've played one of the ones for this show on Harvey Hyde's, but that's all right. They get confusing after a while, but here's our last voicemail. So I was at the Washington game, and first I want to say that I'm really proud of how our, hard our team fought today, and they played hard to the very end, and that was great to see. By the way, this question's for Dan and Keely and Ryan, or really statement. But that being said, the scariest thing about the game was the fact that UW honestly didn't look like that good of a team. I mean, sure, they don't make mistakes, had some tricky defensive schemes, and were well coached, but they certainly didn't pass the eye test in person. And to take that one step further, my dad's a Longhorn, and for Father's Day, I got his tickets to the Texas-Oklahoma State game last week. And honestly, I think both Texas and Oklahoma State would blow out both of the teams I saw play in Husky Stadium today. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the Pac-12 in football, because if today's any indication, it may become the next Big East and be broken up if it doesn't get it, if it doesn't get its act together. Fight on, Jason Longhorn country. Yeah, Jason, I, I agree with you. I, I was, I didn't think from the beginning of the year on that Washington was all that good. Uh, I do think uh, uh, Jacob Eason is not 
I mean, you know, I know there were people coming into the year and saying, oh, he transferred from Georgia. Well, he didn't, you know, he got beat out. Uh, and ranking him way above uh, uh, JT, for example, going into the season. And, and, and that's not correct. He, he's, he's okay. But, uh, you know, their tailback, you really got to like him. Uh, he's terrific, runs hard, take advantage of, you know, on the big play. But uh, other than that, Washington looked like a, a really competent, confident, but not all that extremely talented team. They just do what they do, and, uh, and they get the most out of it, and they don't beat themselves. And they take advantage of USC or when they got BYU, they take advantage of teams that do beat themselves. But that you're right. The difference there is uh, is is the coaching. But I mean, this is a game USC should have won, and they have better players. I don't think there's any question about it. If you just flip the coaching staff, uh, USC wins. So where does that you know where does that get us? Uh, USC as good as Oklahoma State and Texas. Uh, you know, it, 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 well coached, yes. Uh, otherwise, uh, no. I don't know about Oklahoma State, but uh, but with Texas, uh, they just look like they're you know they're playing harder now than USC is. We're you know it's early in the season, but if you look at our we do our Pac-12 power rankings on the podcast of champions, and we actually survey all the publishers from the different tw- twelve different Pac-12 sites. The rankings right now go Oregon, uh, Washington, Utah, then they have Arizona State, and USC's fifth. Um, and, you know, but if you look at talent, USC would be at the top. But USC sort of made the two of the three best teams in the conference not look that good. Utah looked pretty terrible against USC. And then they go out against Washington State and absolutely murder them. Um, you know, that's their best game of the year the week after. And that was without Zach Moss and without Britton Covey. Um, you know, Washington looked, you know, mortal. You know, USC without three turnovers. Like, like Dad said, you probably win that game. Um, you, Washington didn't look like a, a playoff kind of team or anything like that. Jacob Eason looked like a guy. Like he didn't look like a dude. He just looked like some regular quarterback. He didn't do anything special. And maybe that's a credit to USC. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the teams that you play that don't have a, a whole lot of talent. You can dominate with with good talent and great coaching. And I think Washington and Oregon and Utah have you know really good talent and great coaching where USC has great talent and poor coaching. And sometimes it's still hard to overcome the great talent, you know? And I think we saw that against Washington and Utah. They're, you know, the games they look the worst in, you could argue, are, the, are against USC for both those teams. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'm amazed at the turnaround in, in Utah. Uh, to just and, and again, sometimes with Washington State, you're just not sure what you're seeing. Uh, you just never know in the rankings. I don't know how people, are, uh, you know, ranking, you know, people the way they are, but, uh, but Jason, you know, you got a really good, you know, look at, that's one of the reasons to go to games in person. You really get a sense of how good are these guys. And, uh, and Washington's just okay, but they get the most out of their talent and they don't beat themselves. And, uh, if USC, imagine if you could say that about USC, they get the most out of their talent. They don't beat themselves, you know, even, even with the two new quarterbacks, you're five and zero. Uh, and one of the problems with this USC team, I don't think you could argue that with JT Daniels going all the way, they're five and zero probably. I would think and have a chance at Notre Dame. 
So, I mean, I think we overlooked that at times, but, uh, but, but I think without a doubt they're five and zero with JT. So that's a tough, that's a tough deal. And I don't know if they're going to handle it, you know, going through the year, is that going to get better or not? I don't know. Yep. So our final two questions are actually about SB 206, which was the Senate bill, the California Senate bill that just passed yeah. and was signed by Gavin Newsom on Monday morning. It's a basically it allows athletes to profit from the use of their name, image and likeness. It's not play for pay. Uh, I know we got a question about that. So it's not about that. But uh, let's go to those questions. First from Tarek. He says, how do you feel about SB 206? Will private schools in California be able to implement their own rules to circumvent the process? The rumor is that the NCAA will not allow schools that adopt this rule to participate in bowl games and playoffs do they have the right to do that and do you believe schools will challenge them right let me jump in real quick on this so don't worry about the the individual laws like so california comes out with this it doesn't take effect till 2023 florida just introduced a bill that's going to take the take effect next year we got a question about that yeah there's other there's states that are going to do it this isn't going to be about California is going to get shut out of anything. That's all bull crap. Like, don't, don't worry about like, this is going to force the NCAA to do something and allow athletes to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. So I would not worry about any specifics about what does this mean for California three years from now? Like that's all going to be changed by then. But that that's, that's my opinion, Dan, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. For example, if somebody thinks, Oh, there's one great running back in the country and me and he can really profit from his likeness and image and whatever. And the word is USC's offer name, you know, or some car dealer in USC in, in Southern California is offering this much. How fast do you think it would take him to change the law in Alabama? What? Yeah. A nanosecond? <laughs> huh? I mean, are you kidding me? Come on. I mean, and, and what are we up to? Six, seven, eight states now that are looking at these laws? I, mean, I thought it was classic NCAA bluster and, and, and just the way they handle things by saying, well, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to keep uh, California schools in the, you know, yeah, they're going to cut out 40 million people. And right. the people who advertise on every NCAA broadcast are going to say, yeah, that's fine. Just go ahead. We don't care. We don't need California to sell cars. We don't need California. What? You kidding me? Yeah. For the NCAA to even act like they were going to do that. And then the idiots at the Pac-12 chime in. <laughs> oh, we can't <laughs> afford to let those guys. Here's a guy putting out a statement who's making more than $4 million a year, Larry Scott. And you worrying about, oh, it's going to hurt you know, women's athletics. It's going to hurt uh, Olympic sports. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't you just take about, oh, I don't know, half a million and give your like three and a half million back to Olympic sports in California or women's sports. Are you ever going to do that? No, of course not. Larry's grabbing every dollar he can get before he gets thrown out the door. But uh, for those guys who are making that kind of money to make those comments, it's just embarrassing. There's nobody, you know, at the Pac-12 say, you know, Larry, People are liable to talk about how much money you're making uh, and how that might really impact the Olympic sports. And that no, nobody. I mean, there's no self awareness at all. No, there's I mean, not. Like, and and the the <laughs> interesting thing is, it's going to be good for Olympic sports and women's sports. It's going to be if it was like a paper play, play thing, and only the sports that made money were getting paid by the universities. It would be football and basketball, whatever. This this allows. Say you're like a great softball pitcher. And you, you're like playing for UCLA or something, and you live in like Iowa. You go back home, 
you can run a clinic for pitching in Iowa and make money off it or a camp or something. You can coach individual people and make money off that. You can create a YouTube page and show pitching techniques and make money off that. Or if you're Zion Williamson, he had 1.7 million Instagram followers before he even got to Duke. So Duke didn't have anything to do with his fame. He could make money being an influencer on, on social media. I mean, there's a lot of ways that everyone, not just like the the you know star running back or whatever, everyone can make some money off of this. And if you remember, who is it? Was it Zach Smith, the uh, the snapper for USC that he was? He came in and he had a, he had a vlog channel. He had a trick shot like um, YouTube video thing. Yeah. He yeah. was doing. There was guys that have done things like that where they had their YouTube pages and the NCAA says you're not allowed to make money off those things. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, you know, if you're a great punter and you want to like show off your punting or snapping or whatever, if you're, you know, a, a lacrosse player, all that stuff you can do and use that like, hey, Julie you know, Smith is a, a champion uh, lacrosse player for USC. She, they, they're number 20 in the country and she's coming to your high school and she's going to, te- you know, teach you guys how to play. Like all the, those people can actually make money on the sport that they play. So it's, that, it's so disingenuous for them to try to say, oh, it's only going to be, no, it's everybody can make money off it. And it's going to be the free market of who does it, you know? And if some people might not want to, but if you're like, hey, you know, I, I, I'm a baseball pitcher and, you know, I'm, I have a quarter scholarship to USC. I got to pay all this money. Um, when I go back home, I'm going to teach a clinic or do whatever. It's like you can do those things. And that, that's why I think this makes sense. Well, you know, like an Alex and Felix who had to leave school uh, to sign with Nike after her freshman year. Now, she stayed involved with USC, got her degree, has gone on to, I don't know, she's got the most, uh, you know, national or world championships of anybody almost ever. But she could have been signed up uh, so that she could have stayed at USC. She wouldn't have had to leave to go or, you know, <clears throat> to go to Nike or all the great track stars that have come to USC. They could stay at USC instead of running, you know, the world world circuit for money. Michael Norman and uh, uh, the, the Gross kid and uh, all those, you know, great, great athletes would not have had to leave school. So, I mean, it, it kind of breaks down there. I think without a doubt, uh, in terms of allowing kids to, you know, to stay in school and to do, you know, do things, uh, that if they were a chemistry major and they came up with something that a bunch of people wanted to buy, uh, they'd certainly not be limited to do that. I don't know if there's a, do they, for example, in professional sports, you have salary caps and you have, you know, they, they don't want the Yankees to be able to buy every single great player and, you know, just roll over everybody in the same way in football or basketball. Uh, but uh, I don't know how you would do that in, in terms of, you know, just a complete free market. I'm not sure. I wouldn't trust the NCA to have anything to do with it. That though They've disqualified themselves uh, to be any kind of you know, overseer in, in, in what's going on. I, I just don't know. I mean, I think there might be a, a day when we see, uh, Stuart Mandel came up a couple of years ago with an idea that you would create a super conference in college football, very similar to the NFL, where you'd have, uh, say, USC and Washington and Texas and Oklahoma and, uh, you know, Michigan and Ohio State and Wisconsin and Alabama and Florida. And you'd have maybe like 24 or 32 teams. And they would go by different rules. And they would sign 
an NFL type contract uh, on television, and they would be in a different place from everybody else that would be more, uh, you know, where if you're an FCS program, you're, you know, most of your kids aren't going to attract uh, uh, that kind of outside money and where the scholarship would really, uh, you know, be great. Uh, and yet I just wonder if there is a place that maybe uh, college football at the very most elite level and college basketball uh, have to go in terms of bowl games and things like that. Uh, the bowl games have kept the NCAA out. The NCAA gets no ability to uh, uh, control bowl games. And the bowl people didn't want the NCAA to get any money out of uh, football. The same thing happens with the playoffs. That's completely separate from the NCAA. Now, I'm sure there's a way the NCAA can try to get in there. Uh, but in terms of just running those things, I think California schools, there would be nothing to prevent them from uh, being invited to the college football playoffs. I don't think at all. Uh, so I don't know structurally if the NCAA could even, even attempt to do that. If it went to court, would they have a chance to win? Probably not. But, uh, uh, I would say the largest barrier, the the largest barrier for California schools making the playoff is not this (laughs) bill. It's it's playing on the field. So, Yeah. Yeah. And I know people are worried that this is going to change the dynamics that, you know, all the national recruits are going to look at California. And to be honest, by the time this happens, they're not letting them leave. Uh, Florida, Florida is not in Alabama and Georgia. And they're not letting them leave. Florida already jumped ahead. Well, we we did get a question from Jack from New Jersey. It's our last question of the show. He wanted to know other things are popping up for other states. How will that affect not only California, but maybe the national perspective on all this? Yeah, like I said, so like Florida's bill that just so it wasn't passed yet. It was it. So Gavin Newsom signed the bill. So it's finally done. But everyone knew it was going to get signed. And it's more of a slower thing. The first one out of the, the gate. And it doesn't take effect till January of 2023. The Florida bill would take place in the middle of next year. So like less than a year from now. So it's really just sort of like everyone's going to push the envelope. No one's going to get left behind on this. Like Dan said, I think there's 10 states that are contemplating. And, and like you said, Alabama will get on it right away. I don't think it's going to come down to individual states. It's going to come down to hey, this is what everybody wants, NCAA. Now you have to change your amateurism laws. So they don't, they're don't. they very reluctant to. They don't want to do that. But you can't have you, – you could try to single out one state. But you know, now you have California and Florida. Like, you know, what is that, half the population of the country? So, no, you couldn't do that. Yeah, and, and I just think the NCAA has gotten away with things because people haven't taken them to court. But they're probably doing things that, you know, obviously, for example – First time uh, the show cause penalty was tested in California uh, for Todd McNair, they lost. You know, they're they're not allowed to uh, put show cause penalties on coaches in California. Uh, I know they're appealing it, but I just have a feeling there are an awful lot of things the NCAA has been doing and taking for granted that they can do. And uh, under the scrutiny of really uh, you know serious court cases, they're they're not gonna not gonna win. I still remember. When I started covering college basketball and going to the final fours and you'd hang out at the, at the, you know, headquarters hotel or whatever. And you were always there for the four teams and the four teams in those days, kids stayed all four years and they were really the big deal. And here comes 
and that was in the day of the Oldsmobile, when Oldsmobile was the big NCAA sponsor. And here comes one after another, new Oldsmobiles, new Oldsmobiles, being drive, driven by these NCAA schmucks, you know, these guys that just were, what do, what do you do? You know, I mean, why? And they all had brand new cars given to them by the NCAA. And the players, who were the only reason people were coming to the Final Fours, if they'd have gotten caught in a brand new car, maybe even just riding in one, it'd have been hell to pay. And I just thought, the NCAA just didn't get the optics of that. That just didn't look right. You know, that, that they had all these guys that couldn't dribble a basketball, you know, 15 feet, were all you know, driving their brand new cars. It just, uh, it was, and the NCAA's never gotten it because they've gotten away with almost everything they've ever tried to do. And they gotten away with, you know, what they did to USC and, uh, they just don't have any sense of, you know, that's not going to look good or that's not fair or that's not right. That I don't think anybody at the NCAA ever even asked that question. They just do it because they got away with it for all these years. Yeah. Now they're not. All right. Well, I think that's, uh, that wraps it up, wraps up this show. Um, well, we got a bye week just to, we're not going to do our Peristyle pregame show, the radio show. Thank you guys for listening to that. Uh, and we put up the podcast here. So we're not going to do one this week because there's no game. Uh, we will have a tunnel vision on Sunday, but not on uh, Thursday. On Thursday. <laughs> so we'll do that. And then we won't have a preview podcast because there's no game to preview. We're going to try like. Yeah, we're trying to chill out a little bit. And, you know, there might be some breaking news, whatever. Who knows? What, you know, hey, it's USC. That means we're jinxing it right now. I mean, we always have to pay yeah. attention. It's true. There's, I always say, don't there's a reason there, there, there can't. Sometimes there's a reason they call it the bye week, you know? Oh, man. <laughs> some spice. Dang. Um, yeah, we don't. I mean, it's hard to say what's going on right now. But USC does have an opening as an athletic director. Could someone be named? There's a lot uh, going on there. So, well, I guess we'll wrap it up. That wraps it up. That's Keely Ewer. That's <laughs> Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. We're running out of energy, but we do appreciate you listening. <laughs> it's, there's so much you could say. You know, there's just like, yeah. yep, you guys are right. Like, the, you, know, you can't argue with the fans. The fans like know I what said, they're talking about. Sorry, on Tunnel Vision, it's put up or shut up time for USC. It's it, time. It, but it's been that way I since know, the end of last true. year. Like, How much more can you, so that's like you put can't, up, shut up? There has to be more shutting up and, you know, <laughs> and, no. and more putting up. I don't know. But maybe we'll both. <laughs> so, all right, we'll wrap it up. Keely, Dan, Ryan, thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.